Long lines, lost ballots, and scared voters are the story of the 2020 primaries so far. Right now, many states are either postponing primary elections or switching to votes by mail. Options all due to the pandemic. All across the country, the rules vary for when you can get your ballot and when you should return it. They're using COVID to try and get the mail-in ballots. Even before the pandemic, Iowa took weeks to count its caucus results. Since, with the virus a threat, some states have moved their primary dates or extended vote-by-mail options. Others have closed precincts and still required voters to cast their ballots in person. Voting in America is a state-by-state affair, and as a result, there have been 50 separate responses to the challenges posed by COVID-19. Those responses will undoubtedly affect the November elections. They may advantage some candidates over others and even determine outcomes. Whether the pandemic ultimately makes it easier for Americans to vote by giving them more options or harder remains very much in question. CQ Roll Call elections analyst Nathan Gonzalez joins me today to discuss how he sees the future of voting. Welcome, Nathan. Hey, thank you for having me again. So first, Nathan, before we go into the future of voting, let's look at what we've seen this year so far. We've had a number of primaries conducted in the midst of the pandemic. How have they done? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that they many of them have been delayed, uh, that just the, the urgency of confronting the coronavirus and COVID-19 uh, caused states to push push them back. Now, when the states and finally ended up conducting, uh, many of them increased their access to uh, absentee or mail-in balloting. Uh, it was a hybrid, both increased access to mail-in balloting, but also have in-person locations, albeit fewer, sometimes far fewer in-person locations. And uh, I would say there was mixed success. Uh, on one hand, you, you know, there were turnout, looks like it was across the board was up, but there were long voting, long lines in Georgia, for example. You know, people were waiting four to five hours after the polling places closed, and they were still waiting to cast a ballot. Right. That's really unacceptable. And the Washington Post also had a recent report that said in some cases, the mail-in ballots did not arrive on time and had to be discounted, thousands of them, or they were filled out improperly and had mistakes. And this sort of recalls the situation in 2000, when we had a contested presidential election in Florida between George Bush and Al Gore, and we saw those pictures of these vote examiners looking, holding ballots up, looking for hanging chads. You know, is that the future if we're relying more on mail-in ballots? Well, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, there are only five states that do this on a regular basis, that conduct their ballots largely by mail or entirely by mail. Other states are quickly trying to play catch up and trying to play catch up during a global pandemic. <laughs> and I think we're seeing we're showing we're seeing that it's difficult. You know, you bring up 2000. I immediately my mind goes to litigation. You know, I think that there's been a lot of stories that have been that have been written about election night and how it's probably going to take a long time to count ballots because of how many uh, mail in ballots there are going to be. But I think what isn't getting enough attention is the litigation that because the rules are changing so fast and these processes are changing, 
maybe it's maybe it's not even nefarious it's just sloppy or people doing things too quickly that there's going to be litigation and that could have a fundamental impact on when or how soon we know winners of these key races or w- whether the public trusts the results of the election yeah i mean this is this is why and i'm glad we're we're having this discussion because this is a critical piece we have to get this right i mean one of the hallmarks of our country is that we have elections and we agree on the winners and we agree on the losers and the losers just kind of lick their wounds and and move on and live to fight another race. But if we can't even agree on the legitimacy of the winners, then it's going to be difficult to govern and to move forward as a country. So Democrats in Congress want more states to allow vote by mail. You, You mentioned that five already do do it exclusively. Um, But state finances are just in a shambles because of the pandemic. Their revenues have collapsed because they're not collecting the kinds of sales tax that they typically do. And so are we going to see a big fight over money in Congress over uh, helping the states do this? Even if there was, there is more money that's allocated toward elections, it's not going to be enough. It's never enough. And particularly when these states are are having to change their whole systems. You know, it's not it's not just the, it's about having the money to to print the ballots, to mail the ballots, do they have the right equipment to count the ballots? Uh, do they have enough staffing? That's one thing that uh, in the primaries we saw is the difficulty of the states to be able to have to fully staff these uh, in-person precincts. And a lot of that is volunteer, but you also need a level of administration to to uh, to bring those volunteers in, and so whatever. If there's more money that ends up coming, I, I I'll just take a wild guess that it's not going to be enough. President Trump is against expanded vote by mail. He says that it, it will lead to more voter fraud. And as you mentioned, there are five states: Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Washington, and Utah that already do vote by mail exclusively as the way they conduct their elections. So, what do we know from their experience? Has there been Voter fraud. Minimal. Minimal. The potential for voter fraud is being weaponized, <laughs> I would argue, by the White House and, and Republicans, because when you look at the numbers, there just is not evidence of widespread voter fraud. You know, I, I grew up in Oregon, and Oregon has been voting by mail for 20 years. 20 years. And I did a rough count. There's been at least 18 million votes cast over the last 20 in Oregon. And there's been about a dozen cases of voter fraud. And what are we talking about? I mean, is it someone intercepting the ballot in your mailbox and filling it out for you? or You know, it might be filling it out uh, for a family member or um, it could be, intercep- you know, it could be intercepting. There was a c- case just recently in New Jersey, actually Patterson, New Jersey, where uh, a couple city councilmen and two others were charged with with voter fraud, and they were basically kind of ballot stuffing or taking vote taking ballots that weren't theirs or trying to trying to recreate them. And the of what could happen if there's widespread access to mail in balloting. And I would argue that it's actually evidence that it worked. Like these these guys got caught; they weren't successful. And so uh, I think a, a key piece of this in Oregon is that it is a class C felony, you know, punishable by up to five years in prison if you commit voter fraud. And you know, I, I'm, I would be all in favor of having strict penalties for this because it's serious. I mean, you have to get this, um, this voting right. If I could also add, 
I would make a distinction between voter fraud and election fraud. And what I mean is that to me, voter fraud is that the voter is, is somehow perpetrating what's going on. What we've actually seen more of is what I would call election fraud, which is maybe a consultant or a party operative who is taking advantage of a voter, maybe taking their ballot and trying to manipulate it or do something with it. This is what happened in North Carolina's, uh, that North Carolina House race in 2018 when we had to have a redo election in 2019 because of a Republican consultant to the Republicans' campaign collecting ballots and tampering with them Ill- illegally. Right. That kind of conspiracy is kind of a difficult thing to orchestrate and all the more difficult to get away with, as that North Carolina case demonstrated. Right. And, and again, you could, I guess it depends on how people want to look at it. You could say, well, there's, there's fraud happening, but they were caught. <laughs> they, were, uh, they, they, they did not follow through and were not able to uh, you know, manipulate the outcome of that election. Does the possibility, though, give any opening to our rivals? We know Russia interfered in the 2016 election. Is there any way that they could take advantage of increased vote by mail to interfere again? I, I'm very skeptical. Um, again, let's, let's think about what they would have to do. In a way, the decentralization of our election system can be frustrating. There are lots of different rules and states are implementing uh, the elections in different ways. I think that makes it more difficult for uh, a, an adversary, whether it be foreign or not, to, to interfere. One of the things the president has said is that there's going to be a foreign country printing mass ballots. Well, think about what we just talked about. They would have to, you know, not just print Trump, Biden, you know, these pieces of paper, but very intricate and specific down to the local, local office level. And these absent or these mail-in ballots have barcodes that are specific to voters. They have two envelopes. You know, usually you know you, you fill out your ballot, you put it in an envelope, you seal it, you sign it, then put it in the other envelope in order to uh, in order to mail it in. Then they would have to recreate the signature or at least get the signatures close enough to um, to pass judgment by the by the election officials. So. It seems like the, the greater danger from a Russia would be a cybersecurity issue, them hacking into a state election system. And we know that's been a focus for Congress of helping the states uh, buttress those systems with better cybersecurity. And I think th- that vulnerability exists whether it's whether ballots are cast by mail or cast in person, right? If you are tinkering with vote totals or, or with the numbers rather than the ballots themselves, that I just think... Should we, we should be open-minded about how, how far an adversary would go to try to interfere, but it would be, I think it'd be difficult on a widespread level. Well, Democrats think that the real reason President Trump is against vote-by-mail is not fear of voter fraud, but that he thinks making it easier to vote will help Democrats. Is there any evidence along those lines that Democrats are more prone to vote-by-mail? Well, clearly that's what the president thinks and what a lot of Republicans think, but it's just not, uh, I, I don't think it's based in fact. Somewhat anecdotally, we just had a special election in May in California's 25th district, kind of north of LA. And uh, it was largely all by mail. There were a couple of in-person precincts across the district, but Republicans won. Mike Garcia won a special election. He won it pretty handily. 
and the Mike Garcia, the Republican, and that was a, a GOP takeover of a previously held Democratic seat by, by Congresswoman Katie Hill. You know, Utah is one of the five states that's been voting by mail. I'm pretty sure Utah is a, is a Republican state. But there are also academic studies. Uh, 538 did a, a lengthy article on, on whether it favors mail-in balloting, favors one party over the other. And it's, it's not conclusive that it fundamentally at its core helps one party or the other. This is a unique year, though, Nathan, of course, with the p- pandemic. And the polls seem to show that Republicans don't take as seriously or aren't as fearful of the disease. They are not as in favor of universal mask mandates, for example. They are more in favor of reopening businesses and schools than Democrats. And one, I suppose, could speculate based on those that data that Trump thinks his people are more likely to be willing to show up in person and cast a ballot despite the risk of contracting the virus than Democrats would be. And in that scenario, I can see why he might oppose vote by mail. I've been talking with some Republican strategists who are concerned that the president's rhetoric on mail-in balloting is actually going to suppress Republican votes, <laughs> that the Republicans are are basically taking a weapon out of the battle uh, by, by delegitimizing it or trying to delegitimize what mail-in balloting is. I think you're right that there is a, there's a partisan difference in how the seriousness with which people view coronavirus and that that could lead to more Republicans voting on election day. But you know, a vote on election day counts the same as a vote that was cast by mail and mailed in previous to election day. I think this is a critical piece, though, in understanding how election night might go. Because election votes cast by election votes cast on election day will most likely be counted on election night. And so that could, the initial returns could show that President Trump is doing well and has these large margins. But then as we go through days, maybe weeks of counting votes, Democrats could start to gain ground and pull ahead in races. And there's going to be, we're going to hear the rhetoric from Republicans, Sean, you can, uh, I think we're recording this, you can put it in the bank that Republicans will say that votes, well, uh, President Trump was leading on election day and try to delegitimize votes, vote counts that happen afterward, even though those votes were cast before election day even happened. We saw that in a big way in California in a lot of House races in 2018, where Republicans were leading after election night, but then late counted ballots led to a big shift in the House representation from California. The side part of that story is that, you know, the president in 2016, the president complained about an election that he won. You know, he, he was complaining about voters, undocumented immigrants that were voting in California and which there was no widespread evidence of that. Uh, but he was trying to delegitimize his, the national vote, which showed Hillary Clinton won because he thought people were using the national vote to delegitimize his entire election. So if he ends up losing in November, I, I can guarantee that he's going to find a way to try to complain about it. Democrats see this as part of a larger effort by Republicans to suppress the vote. They group the opposition to vote by mail with the closing down of polling places with voter ID laws that require people to show identification in order to cast a ballot. Is there a story there? I think it shows the importance of 
who is in charge of the election. <laughs> uh, you know, the presidential race gets the most attention. Maybe the U.S. Senate race is, is close. But when we're talking about implementation of elections, the governor, the state legislatures, the secretaries of state, these are all critical pieces in, in who gets to define how these elections are implemented. Uh, I think suppression is, is a concern. Uh, I'm not sure that in how many places it, it would be the fund it would be the fundamental deciding factor uh, of a race. You know, we'll probably get some emails about Georgia after after people listen to this uh, from from 2018. But in the you know in the the studies that have been coming out, uh, both Washington Post and NPR about ballots that have been thrown out in the primary process. You know, maybe that's a precursor to what we'll see in November. I don't know that it's been done on a on a partisan. Uh, partisan level. It's usually more about the mechanics of when that ballot was received or not received. It's a concern, but I'm not sure it's going to make the difference. So we talked about how difficult it is going to be for states that don't offer vote by mail or only offer it in a limited way to ramp that up for November and to allow everyone to vote by mail, which is what Democrats want. If in the end, Democratic-leaning states move in that direction more than Republican-leaning ones, is there any reason to think that could affect the election? If Republican-leaning states, people have to go to the polls, and Democratic-leaning states, they have the option to vote by mail, is there any partisan advantage there? Uh, there could be. It depends on what the margin is in the states. Uh, the, the dirty secret about elections is that if a race is close, then everything matters. Uh, the, the scenario that you're talking about would matter. Um, then maybe the weather matters. Um, maybe uh, there, are other <laughs> there are other factors that, that come into play. Um, one thing that on the in-person voting is that in, in Kentucky, which had their primaries not too, uh, not too long ago, there were very limited in-person polling places, particularly in the most populous counties. One of them was a convention center and one of them was a football field. And uh, voting in a football field in May or June and voting in a football field in November uh, could, be, could be very different and could impact people's willingness or ability to stand in line for a considerable amount of time. Uh, so all, all of those things could matter, but is it happening in states and districts that matter for the Electoral College or the fight for the Senate and the fight for the House? Uh, we, we're just going to have to wait and see. On the voter suppression point, the Democrats will argue that a voter ID law suppresses the votes of poor and minority citizens who are less likely to have a driver's license, say. And they also cite the closure of polling places if you live in a congested urban area and you only have a limited number of polling places and they have huge long lines. That can be a discouragement to vote. But on the vote by mail, I, it doesn't seem as clear a picture, right? Because the take, for example, the census, which requires people to fill something out and put it in a mailbox and send it back to the government. I think the data shows that poor and minority citizens are less likely to fill out the census document. So might that all, it would stand to reason that might also hold true for a mail-in ballot. There's some skepticism among some uh, minority communities about sending any information uh, to to the government, and that is a uh, that's a contrast to the Republican point of that 
expanded vote by mail would automatically hurt their party when some key democratic groups may be less likely to vote by mail, when indeed there are, some of the studies show that uh, more voting by mail should help older, <laughs> older Americans, people in rural America, which tend to be more Republican. There is an education piece of voting by mail that Democrats have to walk through with their, with their different constituencies, and, and they're aware of that. How effective will it be? Uh, remains to be seen. I do know that President Trump is energizing and mobilizing the Democratic Party in an incredible way. I think it's one of the most understated parts of this election. And there, there might be people in that have some skepticism about voting by mail or don't want to wait in line for a few hours to vote, but they are so enraged with the first four years of the president that they're willing to go the extra mile to, to cast their ballot. It's going to make it difficult to draw conclusions about vote by mail because of that exact point. But do you see it as the future? I mean, will we more and more have that option to vote by mail, perhaps even to vote by email or to go on to a secure website and, and cast a ballot that way? You know, this is a key, this is a key question, right? Uh, we were already moving in the direction of more voting by mail. What's going to be interesting about the conversation when we get to Christmas is what it, what the future is and what I what I mean is that we were already moving we were already moving toward more voting by mail but this election could be such a fiasco <laughs> that it puts the it dampens the enthusiasm or the momentum for mo- for more voting by mail because you're going to have some states that are trying to implement it so quickly that it turns out to be a mess and and maybe, and that probably shouldn't be the the only piece of evidence uh, about whether we should have more of it moving forward. But that's just going to be the realities. I mean, look at the Iowa caucuses uh, early early this right, year, where they did not and, have a result for a was, long time, and it was a mess. And that was probably spelled the end of the of the Iowa caucuses, or at least the influence of the Iowa caucus caucuses because of how it was implemented. Now. I feel like there's always going to be an in-person component to voting in America, or at least an option to vote in person, because it's been a part of our country since the beginning. And uh, so I see that as critical. Moving elections online is a fascinating question, because when you, when you look at our lives, everything is moving online. Critical, our banking information, our healthcare information, all of that is usually securely online. Yet in voting, we seem to be moving backwards. We're moving toward, you know, print. What might have been electronic voting is now print ballots, and, and we're moving backwards. And that is just there's a dissonance there. Well, the fear of a of a hack by a foreign actor or, or some evil doer has led uh, to the requirement, right, that states have a paper backup of every ballot that they can go back and check. Which is reassuring in a sense. Right. And uh, security is, I understand the concern and, and security is a concern, but security is also a concern for our, these other pieces of our lives that are very important that in large part are, are securely, uh, you know, are able to be secured online. Uh, when I think of the future of voting, I also think about does, it, does Election Day ever become a national holiday? Uh, do we always vote on a Tuesday in November? Do we move it to a weekend? I, I think there are even more options about future of voting even beyond 
the, the specific balloting. If we go to vote by mail, does that fundamentally change the way people campaign? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, getting getting out the vote is still important, but getting out the vote means a lot, of, a lot of different things. It's not just about the physical getting out the vote. It's about making sure that voters first register to vote. They apply for an absentee ballot where they need to do that. They turn in their ballot, kind of ballot tracing or making sure that people follow up. That is that is an increasingly important part of these campaigns. Uh, but it also infects affects the timing of campaigns. Normally, you want to have a, as a candidate, you want to have a crescendo and then peak in November, that Tuesday in November. But now voters in some states are going to start getting ballots in September. So you want to, you want to peak early, early enough to, uh, to account for when people may actually be casting their ballots. And so that, and it, that it affects what it- how a campaign might go too, because if a bombshell comes down in the last days of the campaign, as in 2016 with the Access Hollywood tape, and then with the renewed discussion about Hillary's emails right at the end of the campaign, if you had voted weeks before by mail, you weren't able to absorb those things. Right. Once once the ballot is cast, you know it's kind of it's in the bank, and you can't you can't change your uh, you can't change your mind. So that that's probably a piece of evidence of why voting early uh, in expanded vote by mail is not necessarily the best thing because it doesn't account for for those last second those last second pieces what i root for is finality and something that's definitive you know it's not about who but i, I think that's what i think that's what's best because if we have a handful of elections that are just hinging on dozens of votes and we're caught up in litigation it's going to be tough to move to move on from that. So Nathan, you've explained how because we have this state by state oversight of elections that you have such different approaches and and the potential for a mass this November. Um, does that mean we need to rethink that approach that perhaps Congress or the federal government needs to step in and set some rules? On one hand it makes sense that we have a centralized way to conduct elections because they're so critical to our government. The chances of that actually happening, I think, are very slim. You know, Republicans in particular are going to, you know, Republicans just fundamentally believe in the decentralization of of government and, and more local control. And for Republicans to agree to go along with that, I think would be a, a big, a big stretch. Uh, I think what it looks like a mess right now, and we're seeing a confluence of a couple events. We're seeing states trying to change their the way they're implementing elections, but we're also seeing a surge in enthusiasm and turnout, and more voters wanting to cast a ballot. Right, 2018 was like a century record for midterm turnout, and and I, I have been saying for this entire cycle that we are going to have record turnout. And even though we are in the midst of a global pandemic, it's not even clear how safe it's going to be to vote. I still believe there's going to be record turnout because voters will find a way to cast their ballot. And they, they're seeing our elected officials in action. And they're going to choose a, a set of elected officials in November that will lead us in the next chapter of our country. But to have to both change our processes and have 
thousands of people or millions of people wanting to be involved in the process that maybe weren't earlier. That is a, that's a difficult mix <laughs> to, to figure out. Do you worry about a peaceful transition of power? We've always had that, but we've seen how this uh, pandemic and the concerns about racial justice just have the country on edge. I'm not. I don't go as far as uh, you know, the president. If he loses, you know, is not going to leave the White House. Uh, I don't. I don't go that far. But there is going to be. I think there'll be a, a healing process that is necessary uh, because there's going to be skepticism. Uh, there's going to be uh, skepticism about the results. But that's where I think if you're, if you're rooting, I mean, you can root for your, you can root for your sides, you, you can root for your candidates, but rooting for decisiveness and, and victories in, in these races that are not razor thin, uh, because I think that will help move forward. If one candidate wins by a large margin, it's going to be more difficult to poke holes in the legitimacy of that victory. Nathan, thank you so much. You're welcome. That's it for this edition of CQ Future. You can find future episodes on this feed. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you.